Hey, it's Buck here today with my good friend and vice president of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group, Stacy Ellis. Stacy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Buck. So how are things at Jim Ellis Automotive these days? Things are good. I mean, of course, we're still adjusting to the loss of my dad, who was running the business, and my grandparents, who founded the company, but we're finding our way. Stacy, I can't imagine that, that kind of loss in such a short period of time, let alone the impact on the business. Fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with a great team, so that really helps us a lot. Now, any truth to the rumors about Jim Ellis being sold? (laughs) We have no plans to sell the business. If anything, we're looking to grow. In addition to some new facilities, we're going to focus on what's worked in the past, making car buying quick, easy, and convenient. Well, speaking from experience, Stacy, I couldn't be happier with my recent purchase from Jim Ellis. That's great. Our motto is expect the best. Visit JimEllis.com. All the information you need is just a click away. Doesn't get any easier than that. Find your next vehicle at Jim Ellis Automotive. So you're here because you want to know modern, vintage, everything in the world of card collecting today. Chuck, he's the collector, and Joe, he's the dealer, welcome you to the best card talk that covers it all. From the hottest new cases to 67 high numbers, all brought to you by Oxygen Financial. Breathe easier about life with Oxygen Financial. Visit OxygenFinancial.net and buy Sports Card Investor, the leading source for videos, podcasts, and articles about investing in sports cards. Profit from the hobby you love by visiting sportscardinvestor.com. Collector. Dealer. Take it away. Oh, yeah, it is the collector and the dealer. This is episode 27. What? really determines a grade when you mail your cards in i am chuck oliver i am the collector been that way since about uh oh second grade or so he is joe davis he's the dealer he was also a collector and still is but about 30 years ago he was like yeah i like doing this full time so i'm gonna make it my uh, monday through friday and also all over the weekend joe how you doing man doing great got lots of great stuff to talk about today looking forward to it yeah before we get into it uh, tell everybody if they want to purchase uh how can they get in touch with you yeah, they can shop with us at GotBaseballCards.com, GotBaseballCards.com. Uh, if they want more info, we provide uh, educational videos and uh, all kind of fun stuff on our YouTube channel under Got Baseball Cards, Joe Davis. Yeah, and I think that I actually cracked the champagne bottle on that series, didn't I? Was, it, was I yeah, one of the... You, I think you were our first guest since we kind of kicked it back off, yes. Awesome. Uh, we're brought to you every week by Oxygen Financial. Uh, I think it was the previous episode had Tyler Huck on, one of their uh, financial advisors. And it's not just investments. It is investments from Oxygen, but it's also taxes, insurance. Uh, we talked about a lot of those issues. If you've heard me talking about Oxygen... Go back, listen to the uh, episode before this one, uh, and and listen to a lot of the stuff Tyler's talking about with, again, insurance and capital gains and a lot of the finances because some of the dollars being thrown around in the industry right now. Uh, absolutely, Oxygen Financial. It's not just you at home with your retirement and everything else. It, it, it applies to the sports card memorabilia business as well. Uh, Joe, we're also brought to you by, uh, I said, so Oxygen Financial, breathe easy with Oxygen Financial. Joe, uh, we're also brought to uh, everyone each week by Sports Card Investor. That's Jeff Wilson, a good friend of yours that uh, you've introduced me to. And I don't know if we can give the details yet, but we have a special thing coming up uh, around the holidays that we'll tell people more about a little later with Jeff. But tell folks about uh, Jeff Wilson and Sports Card Investor. Yeah, Jeff does a great job providing all kind of data to people who are wanting to invest in the sports card market. Uh, he is he is an absolute genius when it comes to numbers and data, 
And so I highly recommend his site and his YouTube channel for those who are wanting to invest in the market. And, and just, you know, as he says, to profit from the hobby we all love. All right. So, Joe, uh, let's kind of set the scene for some folks who, uh, you know, maybe they just ran across the collector and dealer uh, recently. Um, you have been, and I referenced it, you've been a full-time dealer for, like, we're right around 30 years, correct? Yeah, yeah. We opened the store. I mean, I was doing shows in the late 80s. It was it became my only job in college, but we opened the business in May of 1991 full-time. And you have moved the stores. There have been some time when maybe you didn't have a store, but you, you never shut down the business. And a lot of folks after the boom left in like the mid nineties or so, there are a lot of folks who ran for the Hills, but you've been in business nonstop and you've been around since I guess almost the beginning of PSA. Uh, and so talk about your history over the years with PSA. Yeah, we've always had a shop, but it's been, you know, it was tiny. And thankfully we've been able to, we've been blessed to grow it a lot over the years uh, as far as PSA, we started um, submitting to them, became an authorized dealer back in 1998, which was very early. We were a very early adapter to uh, PSA, and we have definitely, uh, we had our learning curve in the late 90s of learning how to look at cards. I remember some of my first few shipments that got back, and I'm like, wait a minute, these were all supposed to be 10s. I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean this card was trimmed? What do you mean this card is miscut? You know, there was so much to learn from things that I had bought in collections and bought at shows and still learning today, but we, we, uh, we've gotten really good at, at examining cards. And, and an example, I brought in uh, three cards that I looked at them. I was like, these are dang near perfect. Um, and you looked at a 71 Phil Necro, which 71 tops is impossible anyway. And after about two seconds, you're like top right corner and you put it aside. I was like, well, that's pretty quick. That was one of my trophies. Uh, yeah. You got to a 65 Marischal that you said was too far off center, uh, top to bottom. You put that aside. And then the 72 Allen Page football high number, you're like, okay, this one we can send in. Um, just give me the overview of what, because every customer, hey, these are nines or tens. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, let's walk through what the graders look for when they grade, because every customer can grade and it's easy. Right. Well, the first thing, whether it's modern or vintage, the very first thing that I've learned to look at is centering. So imagine there's a dot in the center of the card, and then you go out from each edge and you look for a balance, balance, uh, centering. You know, if there's a border, it's a whole lot easier because you look at the border top and bottom and you say, are these equal? You look at the border left and right, say, is this equal? It's tougher when it's borderless. Uh, because you've got to kind of learn what the consistencies are for that given product. Like, so if, where, for instance, let me like the first series of '69 tops football. Exactly. Yeah, those are tough. Uh, one of my favorite sets. Uh, you're correct. No border, bright, and those bright colors really pop at you. So, um, what on those you want to have a little bit of buffer below the name. Um, like if the name is runs right to the very edge of the bottom, it's usually a little OC top to bottom. Uh, and then for the, for the left to right, it just kind of, it's kind of like a banker with fake hundreds. You, the more you see, the more, you know, what works. And yep. so it's not something I it's, it can explain. It's, it's like you have, it, it helps, you know, if you have a lot of them in hand and you can flip through and you see some consistency of how they should be. And you're like, Oh, wait a minute. This, this one's dead on. This one's definitely off center. So that that's the first thing. And then I move on to, uh, the corners. 
uh, and the edges. You know, the edges, there's a lot more surface to look at, obviously, if you see any fraying there. The corners, usually I recommend, especially on vintage, to use like a 10 power loop. You know, put that corner right up to the edge in a soft sleeve. You know, so you're oh, not yeah. going to ding the corner yourself um, and look for fraying because, you know, under 10 power magnification is so much stronger than the human eye. All right, I want to ask you about something, and, and I'll mention his name if, if I can get it right, um, but he's a pretty big seller on eBay, and there are occasionally vintage cards I'll get that, like, one side of them, it looks like maybe it was just a rough cut, and I can assume a lot of times, coming from tops, I mean, we've all seen cards where there's a little bit of that on one edge, and I'm thinking, well, maybe they just didn't sharpen the blade. Um, you understand what I'm talking about there. Just mm -hmm. give me, uh, what is, is that a red flag or a pink flag or is it, no, it just wasn't a sharpened blade. Go, go ahead, Chuck. You're good. Yeah. I mean, uh, you see that aspect that's especially prevalent with old Opeechee hockey and baseball because Opeechee, they would cut the cards, uh, with like a, it, they didn't use blades. It was like a wire that they would cut the cards with. They'd cut the sheets with this this wire would come down, it would leave these ragged edges. So you see a lot of like Opeechee Gretzky rookies with a rough edge. And you used to see that with, um, there's certain 50 set, like 56 tops. I've often seen rough edge. I mean, like I've seen some that'll grade an eight and you go, how in the world's that an eight? The edge is rough, mm -hmm. but it's like the edge is really, it's all there. And it's, it's, uh, it's relatively clean because that's the way they came off the press. As issued. Then, go ahead. It said as issued. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it came out came out of the pack that way. So uh, now, if you see that on a modern card, you're gonna wait a minute. This this thing's ugly. But so sometimes it just goes, and I I can't tell you every one off the top of my head of which ones had the rough edges, which didn't. But it is very prevalent with old Opeechee issues. I know. And I want to tell tell everybody, uh, remind everybody something you and I have been doing. We started about six weeks ago. Uh, I think I first brought in my 66 top set, and then my 65, and then most recently my 67, and you've started harvesting. You, what you call, you know, taking the cream off the top, and then mm -hmm. either I can have some graded keys, or I can replace them with raw cards, and I'm pretty good at that. Uh, you've taken the best of the best, and you've been submitting them uh, to PSA. Now, the interesting thing is 67 was the first set that I started working on about seven years ago. And I realized about a year into it, well, I'm going to expand and collect some other sets. I was expecting that when you looked at my 67 set, you would have fewer to submit because when it was my first set, I didn't have the standards where I have them now. And a lot of those cards, it was the centering that I, I gave a lot of allowance to. But in yep. my 65s and 66s, I had a much better understanding of what I should be aiming at. So just give a, a quick overview of what you've seen looking through those three sets, because you told me with the number of cards you submitted, you're like, yeah, Chuck, it fell right in line with what you were expecting. Yeah, Steve, who pre-screens a lot of our, or most of our stuff, I remember he went through your 67s and told me, he said, wow, he said, yeah, these are a lot more off-center than the other sets had been. So so what you thought is, is, is definitely the case, because... Uh, Again, that's the very first thing we look at, whether it's modern or vintage, is we eliminate by centering because it doesn't matter if the, the corners are razor sharp, if the card's off center, it's not going to grade well. So that, you know, that that's the first thing people have got to train their eyes. I, I remember my, my lesson learned was I used to love buying up Tony Gwynn rookies. And in the late 90s, I bought up a ton of Tony Gwynn rookies. And I, and I was saying, I wonder how many 10s I'll get back. And I was getting back 80C, 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 90C. I'm like, what's this OC stuff? And I'm like, oh, off center. So, yeah, you learn quickly when you start getting those grades back. 
And so uh, what along the 65s and 66s? You have those uh, already mailed off. The 67s are gone as well. And so we'll keep updating people as we start getting those back. Um, you had an interesting experience last week. Now, it was all done virtually instead of, you know, heading out to Las Vegas or wherever, but an industry summit. And uh, you were relaying some of the comments and, and just some of the, the terms and phrases and discussions uh, and I was like, are, are you dealing with like coffee futures or gold bullion? Um, relay some of these stories you were telling me about the way folks are now talking about cards and sets and memorabilia. Yeah, I think it may have been Ken Golden. There was a discussion on the modern card market and Ken is the head of Golden Auctions who has auctioned off some of the most expensive, both vintage and modern cards. They've been auctioned off the Jumbo Wagner a few years ago and, and they've auctioned off a lot of the high end um, I believe they sold the trout earlier this year for 3.9 million. So, um, they use the term asset class that sports cards are now being treated and seen to industry outsiders as an asset class, like gold, silver stocks, etc. And there are people putting money into the sports card market in that same way. You know, they're not just buying for a collection. They're not just, Hey, I think I'll buy this LeBron. I can flip it on eBay. They're buying up massive quantities, putting the stuff up. One of the largest buyers of modern cards was in on the same conversation. And his words were, he said, right now, he said, I'm just buying. He said, I'm not, you know, I'm not flipping. He said, I am, I think is the term he used was I'm accumulating. He said, because I believe we are so early in this game and the game being the growth of the modern sports card market. He said, I'm just an accumulator. I'm just buying up quantities of stuff and guys that I believe in because I believe they've got a long way to go. And the phrase, uh, one of the phrases you used that, that somebody had made the comment, folks, I think we're in the second inning of this. And somebody else said, mm, bottom of the first. Yeah, so, yeah. It, I believe it was Brian Gray from uh, who's the president of Leaf Trading Cards said um, someone else had said they thought we were maybe in the second inning of, of this growth spurt for the modern card market. He said, no, we may only be in the bottom of the first. And so that was very encouraging to hear. I mean, that's what I sense as well, but it was encouraging to hear it ac across the industry dealers, not, not just in the U S but we had dealers from all over. And, uh, so it's very exciting to, to see the trends, uh, as, as someone said, uh, that even if, um, they printed, he said, if manufacturers started printing four or five times as much product as they currently are, everything would still sell out. Everything would still go up because demand so far outweighs the supply right now. Absolutely. And even during, I mean, literally during the pandemic, and this is something we've talked about before, and it breaks my heart because I didn't catch on till about two months ago how gorgeous the 2020 Gypsy Queen set was. And it came out like right after the shutdown, I think end of March. And even mm -hmm. that in six months, it doubled. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's not just Gypsy Queen. Almost everything that came, people were so, had such pent up demand for new cards when Tops had to shut down printing. Yeah. Everything that came out after that was just gold because it was like everybody's been waiting and eager to buy something, some new product. And it was just like we couldn't keep stuff on the shelves. It, you know, it was in one day and out the other. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Joe's going to tell everybody in the vintage world what's waiting for you in the current card market, whether it's Allen & Ginner, Gypsy Queen, etc. We'll talk all of that next on The Collector and the Dealer. I told you we're here because of support from Oxygen Financial. They're a sponsor of The Collector and the Dealer, but where my wife and I are, that's also in part thanks to Oxygen Financial. 
We have been personal clients of Oxygen for several years now, and originally it was for help with our taxes, looking to pay what we're supposed to, but not more. And we had been paying more for years, actually, it turned out. With Oxygen's help, that immediately changed for the better. And my wife and I decided, let's see what Oxygen thinks of our investments and overall strategy. Well, three years later, after making that choice, I can tell you we breathe easier when it comes to the market than at any time before getting with Oxygen Financial. And that's including the current issues all of us everywhere are dealing with. If you might have a question about where you and your family are, any at all, take the step we did and visit OxygenFinancial.com. You can get a free copy of Oxygen's 21-Day Budget Cleanse, as well as Oxygen's guide on how to save up to $100,000 in taxes in 2020, just for telling them you heard Chuck talking about it. Breathe easier about life. Visit OxygenFinancial.com. A popular thought in the sports card world is that there's two camps. Those that love the hobby and those that profit from the industry. Thanks to Sports Card Investor, you can do both. Jeff Wilson has built his Sports Card Investor YouTube channel and his personal website, SportsCardInvestor.com, so that if you're a beginner looking to flip cards for cash or a returning veteran to the hobby wanting to make sure you get the best deals ahead of any emerging price trends, Sports Card Investor is for you. Sports Card Investor, the leading source for videos, podcasts, and articles about investing in sports cards. Profit from the hobby you love by visiting Sports Hey, it's Buck here today with my good friend and vice president of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group, Stacy Ellis. Stacy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Buck. So how are things at Jim Ellis Automotive these days? Things are good. I mean, of course, we're still adjusting to the loss of my dad, who was running the business, and my grandparents, who founded the company, but we're finding our way. Stacy, I can't imagine that, that kind of loss in such a short period of time, let alone the impact on the business. Fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with a great team, so that really helps us a lot. Now, any truth to the rumors about Jim Ellis being sold? <laughs> we have no plans to sell the business. If anything, we're looking to grow. In addition to some new facilities, we're going to focus on what's worked in the past, making car buying quick, easy, and convenient. Well, speaking from experience, Stacy, I couldn't be happier with my recent purchase from Jim Ellis. That's great. Our motto is expect the best. Visit JimEllis.com. All the information you need is just a click away. Doesn't get any easier than that. Find your next vehicle at Jim Ellis Automotive. What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. CardInvestor.com. Chuck and Joe back with The Collector and the Dealer. It's episode 27, what really determines a grade for your cards. And we're going to continue talking about uh, grading and, and some aspects of it as we move further into this uh, episode, Joe. 
Uh, but I, I, since the second segment each week is always, you know, more of a vintage bend to it, uh, I want to get you to give us a flyover of what's in the industry now for the vintage collector. You know, the vintage collector can always go online or to a card shop or a show or whatever, and you can look through vintage cards and whatever else. Um, but I'm talking not necessarily vintage cards. What is the modern card world offering to the vintage collector? And I want to start with uh, Beckett Vintage Monthly uh, or Beckett Vintage Collector. I just got mine in the mail, I think maybe two days ago. Mike Singletary's on the front, a great uh, article about Topps airbrushing in the 70s and 80s. Um, and so uh, Beckett Vintage Collector has just been a tremendous publication for me for I think it's uh, been about four, four and a half years it's been out. Yeah, I, that is my favorite publication on the market. And because they pull out something like they show, uh, I remember one showed an old printing plant from the 60s, like, you know, like, like Philadelphia gum where, where the cards were printed. Yeah, and they, yeah I remember that episode. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they... Uh, Great articles uh, for for uh, card geeks like me that just love the history of the hobby. Um, and I'll tell you, if you don't, Sports Card Market Report put up by PSA does a lot of the same thing. Um, they're more price guide driven because it's mainly about the price guide, but they have some really good articles as well. And they'll usually have a vintage article in each one. They'll usually have like a vintage and a modern. But uh, yeah, there are some some good publications out there for collectors who like to relive their history in the hobby. And and bring us up to date. And I'm I'm saying us, the strictly vintage guy. Uh, bring us up to date. You mentioned other you know hobby or industry publications. Um, I will get in the DeLorean, Joe, and go back to um, before I restarted about seven eight years ago. It was the early '90s when I put my hands up like thousands of guys and said, "Hey, overproduction, blah blah blah. I'm out." Um, I was getting the large oversized SCD. Occasionally, I would get Baseball Card Magazine or maybe Tough Stuff. Um, what is what of all those are still published? What are what is the current list of of either monthly or you know quarterly publications? And what's in those publications maybe for a vintage collector? And some of them probably don't have much at all. Uh, well, I mean, we stock at the store at our retail store. We have uh, all the Beckett ones, which are monthly. They do the uh, they still do a monthly guide for baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and then one they call Sports Card Monthly, which is kind of a, a best of, uh, it's mainly a look at the most recent, it's mainly a modern guide. You know, it looks at uh, every sport, but it just hits the highlight of the last few years. So those who are just plugged into the ultra modern type stuff, um, but it's a popular guide. I, I, the last time I checked, Sports Card Sports Collectors Digest was still printing. I haven't had one in ages, and it, it's a shell of itself in terms of Absolutely, size. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I used to get the the 250 in college. I used to get the 250 page, you know, double sized issue uh, because that was uh, there was no internet to buy cards, and everybody advertised in SCD. Oh, two, it third, like. two thirds of it was ads, and that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was I, the first, first I remember, place I ever advertised. I, I remember finding like you know '60s commons and minor stars on like page 42, and I would buy them and then sell them to somebody I saw on page 147. Yeah. Um, I absolutely did that, and that was kind of like you know eBay back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. What else did do y'all have there at the shop? That's pretty much it as far as monthly stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, 
it's just the printed public and well sport like i said the sports card market report from psa is is a, is a great guide as well besides vintage collector from from beckett and a lot of that's just gone away because everybody's gone online so um I know there used to be a non-sport update that was popular with non-sport collectors. I'm assuming they may still print periodically, but I'm, I'm not positive on that. But a lot of stuff has just shifted to online. Uh, people are just getting all their information, you know, online. And, um, you know, I'm starting, I write blog articles now and I publish them online, you know, because that's where most people are going to read it. Absolutely. So. And instead of having, I mean, I see so many people now that, you know, I kind of a dinosaur with a, a, a binder and a checklist and my highlighter. Um, mm -hmm. It's either a tablet or even a phone. Um, and so that's just, that's, and that's honestly very normal to see at a, at a shop or a card show. Uh, Joe, let's uh, talk a little bit of some fun I've gotten into over the last couple of months. Um, good for your bottom line, and I've had a blast doing it. Modern issues that nod towards vintage or even pre-war. Um, do a walkthrough with some of these. And I know we've kind of hit on at least a few of them as talking about like, new releases and such. Um, but but let's talk about just like that whole run because I'm so much late. It's been good enough. It got me into the modern card market. Um Allen and Ginter, I know that that has been a tops release for a few years. Um, how have they sold? How is X being received? Chrome is uh, out in just uh, another week or so. Uh, uh, how is the uh, A and G? Yeah, the Ginter brand, I believe, has been around since '06, if yeah. I remember correctly. Uh, so it's been a, it's become a staple for tops releases every year, and now um, they've done, I believe, a couple times they've done the Allen Ginter X, which is a direct to consumer only release from tops. I was able to buy all of one box, so I can't really speak much on it because uh, uh, it's very, very limited. Um, the Chrome is a hobby release, you know, that's released through hobby stores coming next and it's going to have mini Chrome. It's going to have inserts. Um, people are really looking forward to it. Uh, it. It seems like anything that you put on Chrome cardstock takes off and goes does well. So why not turn, you know, a vintage product into a Chrome product? So that's what they're doing with that one. And then um, there's many others, you know, there's Gypsy Queen we've talked about. It's been around, um, continues to be a popular release. And um, you're actually, uh, I think our, our dealers are ordering that for 21 now. Is that right? Yeah, we've already got it on, on GotBaseballCards.com, pre-selling it. And uh, I believe it's, uh, yeah, it's one of their early releases every year. What about uh, the Goodwin cards? Yeah, that's uh, Upper Deck's attempt to kind of compete with Tops on that playing field. They, uh, but Goodwin is really unique. That's the one where they put in. Uh, I mean, you might. I think they had like Aesop's Fables or Alice in Wonderland. They they pick some really out there stuff. It's definitely not a tradition. It's not really a baseball product. There'll be some baseball guys in it, but there's basketball. There's uh, you know uh, hockey. There's surfing. There's Tiger Woods. Know, yeah, I mean, there's sportscasters, there's act entertainers. It's a, it's, it's almost a non-sport product with a few sport guys thrown in. Oh, that's happy. And you know what that is? Isn't that the ultimate nod to these sets from like 1880s, 1890s? Even like the some of the champions cards that go into the 30s. It was a boxer, a tennis player. It might be a, a guy who plays chess. Um, right. And they're all over those. And a lot of them, the inserts, the parallels, the autographs, etc., um, all right, I want to ask you about a couple of different um, issues, Tops Archives mm -hmm. and Tops Heritage. Uh, tell me the difference. Yeah. yeah, all right, the Heritage every year, uh, Tops has been doing that since 2001. 
And they started in, in 01, they designed them after 1952 tops. And then every year they use the next year's vintage design. So this year they're up to 1971. Uh, so, and it's, it's definitely got a, um, it's not a product where people chase the rookies as much as people build sets and they put tops puts various short prints in the product. Uh, they do have random autographs, random memorabilia cards, uh, but it's truly still a set builders product. I, I have people every year who may not buy any other, I'm thinking of, uh, my postman, he only buys a couple of releases each year and it's usually heritage and Alan Ginner. And he, he has the goal to build the master set with all the short prints of both of those every year. Okay. Well, now let me ask you the heritage, uh, the Allen and Ginner, I'm going to try to remember 24 packs, um, supposed to be eight cards, but if you get a big hit, you may have like six or seven. Um, what is the breakdown of the hobby box for heritage? I believe it's also a 24 pack. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty similar to Ginner, if I remember correctly, you know, about the same number of cards per pack with usually one auto or memorabilia, uh, lots of inserts. Um, what are the prices on those? Um, Heritage, I believe, is still, uh, for this year, I believe is still under uh, $100 a box. Oh, wow. Okay, it's so still, affordable. wait a minute. What What's wrong with my, my financial universe here? You just said under $100 for a box of brand new baseball cards. I was like, oh, wow, that's, what a great price. Um, yeah, one of the few. <laughs> absolutely it is. And what about the uh, Topps Archives? Yeah, the archives, um, whereas the Heritage, they take one old product and redo the design. The archives does multiple. Like this year, they did, they designed, the base set has cards designed after 1955, 1974, and 2002 tops. And then they include inserts with retro designs based after 1960, 1976, 89, and 90. So you've got all kind of flashbacks in that. You know, if you liked any of those designs, yeah. which I loved 55, could care less about 74, didn't really like 02, but uh, did like, you know, some of those inserts, uh, you know, the, the 1960 uh, design. So, so like you'll build a base set of 200 cards and you'll have multiple cards with designs from each of those years. Oh, so like if card 195 is Pete Alonzo, may he have just one card or like the 74 design or would he be on like multiple, like the se the 2002 and the 74 and the 55? No, he'll have one of those designs for and, his and, base. And what is the breakdown for Topps Archives? You know, uh, top of your head, what the price is? Um, it's it's in the. Uh, we actually sold out of it. Um, oh wow! I need to get more into. I mean, it came out earlier in the year as well. Uh, if I'm remembering collect uh, correctly, it's it's in the like the low hundreds. Joe, if you're not going to keep all new releases, their price points just the top of your head, um, you know, I don't know what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to go back and edit this out. Uh, um, yeah. uh, the last thing I want to talk about, a couple of different ideas, um, especially for a vintage collector. And I went to my first national in 2014 in Cleveland, and a buddy of mine who had been to a couple before, he looked at me and he said, I I'm going to tell you something about the national. Your collection isn't as rare as maybe you think it is. And I started thinking about that. I was like, you know what? Uh, you know, Joe, we've talked about like the 67 test set with the uh, Red Sox and Pirates stickers. Right, right. Um, and I've got about half that set. And I realized I walked in there. I only saw two complete sets for sale at the entire national. So there are some exceptions to that. Um, but for the most part, if you're a vintage collector, I take that as good news that you can go somewhere like the national. And finally, you're going to have access to these cards that, you know, your local show in Tucson, you may not find it there. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget my first national um, in '89, uh, and uh, it was just it was a it was a life changing experience because I would realize like I have nothing in my collection, and these guys have everything, you know. So mm-hmm. it was just, and and it's nowhere near the size it is today. But uh, yeah, it's um, it as I t- as I think I've told Jane, it's a very humbling experience as a dealer who yeah. sets up there. And I go there, you know, with my best stuff and I set up and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have a big national this year, you know, because look at all this great inventory I've got. And it is great inventory. And then I see the guy across from me, you know, and I have this, this one rare Michael Jordan card and he lays out 12 of the same card or whatever. You're like, Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Got to up my game. Yeah. But, but you're, as far as a collector, yeah, there's nothing that compares to going to the national or a, a big big, big regional show in the least where you can take your checklist, take your want list, whatever. And, uh, and you, you sometimes have the option of five or six tables may have what you're looking for and you can negotiate the best price. And uh, so it's, it's a, it's a collector's dream. And, and real quickly, and this is something we've talked about before. And I just wanted to add this in there. Um, your, your, your raw cards that you look at and say, well, these are all, you know, nines and tens. Joe, they're not nines and tens, most likely. And uh, we again, we've talked about this a couple of different times, but um, to really understand if you're buying raw cards with the idea that you're going to send them in, um, again, we you know we've talked about this uh, in the first part of this segment. I mean, it, it is especially true for vintage. Um, there's it's it's the same leeway, you know, a fuzzy corner or a soft corner. You don't get any leeway because the card's sixty years old versus a new issue. No, yeah, and I've learned I've learned that the hard way from grading so many vintage cards. You know, I just got back a bunch of mid fifties, and and I told uh, Steve, the guy who handles most of our pre screen, I'm like, I think I'm done with with fifties because as good as we are, we uh, still did not get the grades we were hoping for. We we're like, wow, these things we thought were sevens were fives, or these things we thought yep. were sevens yep. were sixes. And uh, it is just so tough. And final question, Joe. And, and again, this has been a big education for me over the last six months or so. Um, you know my journey. I started in summer of 2013, and I decided I was going to build a 67 set. Quickly expanded that 67 to 72. Now it's everything from 54 tops hockey to 77 tops to basketball and whatever else. What I believe I have seen, though, is... I have this idea that I want to have this perfect, awesome, complete set of, you know, 1971 tops. That's all well and good. But but what I believe I have found out is that whether it's today, a year from now, or 30 years from now, when that complete set gets presented to a dealer, I, I think I'm pretty certain what his response is going to be. Yeah, his response is going to be, yeah, let's check out the keys and uh, see those might be worth grading. And let me see what kind of offer I can make you based on the keys and these other commons, yeah, they look really nice, but unless they're graded as eights, it doesn't really, you know. It, it, I mean, to a lot of dealers, it's like whether it's X or it's near mint mint on the commons, it doesn't really matter to them when they're still raw. They would rather, they're like, you know, now if you hand them a set and, and you say, hey, I've got 400 PSA eights in here, then that says something. 
But if you say, you know, I've got a complete near mint mint set, they're like, well, that's great. Let's see what the keys look like. Absolutely. That's the state of things. And that's just really what it is. And I'm going to have some, because I'm within like one set, eight cards, another 13, and I'm going to continue and I'm going to finish. But I also understand, um, you know, what the landscape for vintage complete sets is. And the reality, Joe, and I'll just, you know, put it kind of bluntly, I don't think anybody cares. No, sadly. I mean, people, I mean, you can get a serious premium if you've got a, you know, 55 top set and you've graded all the keys and you've graded a bunch of the semi-stars and you average a six or a seven. That makes a difference. But just a nice high grade, ungraded set, it's really tough. Yeah, it'll bring more than a than an X set or a VG set, but it doesn't bring the crazy money that it deserves until it's graded yeah. and when i say graded i mean psa graded because you don't want to take that vintage set and send it to bgs because you're you're just wasting grading because pe- people want if they want a vintage graded set they want it psa graded and you know you, even the you see stories and i mean like plural stories almost every single one of a good find like the uncle jimmy collection what's the first thing they did send it off to get graded uh, yeah. The Black Swamp Fine. What's the first thing? All right, we're sending them off to get graded. Uh, that just really is the landscape for vintage cards, and and especially for a set, it's going to be, yeah, let me take these keys out, and then you can market it as, I have a near-mint set, and here are the graded keys, um, right. as you've told us before. Oh, yeah. Joe. Joe buys a box. All right, Joe. The man says you're buying a box ahead of the weekend. What are you going to get? What's inside it? And how much going to set you back? I'm going with 2020 XR football this week. This has been such a popular release from Panini. Seven cards per pack, two packs per box. Um, there are four numbered parallels per box, two autographs, one jersey, including a rookie jersey auto. Hopefully it's a Joe Burrow or a Tua. Herbert would work too. And another thing they did this year, there are lots and lots of one-of-ones. We've had, um, I believe we've had multiple customers now hit one-of-ones out of this product oh, wow. already. So uh, this box is in the low 200s, but uh, has a lot of potential. Uh, can I ask you real quickly, you mentioned Justin Herbert there. Um, can you give us like a 30 or 60 second uh, sort of a flyover of Justin Herbert and maybe some of the specific cards if somebody's listening? Oh, yeah, I want to get some Herbert cards. Where would you direct them? Well, a lot of people honestly are saying, I just got a text yesterday from a guy who said he's he's holding his money until Prism football comes out because he wants to buy up all three of the quarterbacks in Prism and then he wants to get them graded. Uh, right now, there's not a lot of super premium stuff out. Uh, I mean, he's had his Prism draft and then the Panini Chronicles had several cards of him, but those were all collegiate uniform. Yeah. So a lot of the really strong stuff like the Prism and the Optic are still to come. I mean, we've got like this XR and illusions, you know, that are pro uniform, but a lot of the premium stuff is still on the way. What is the, uh, do, you, do you know the calendar for prism football with Herbert and optic football December, with Herbert? December, uh, optic, they have not solicited yet. So I don't have the release on it. Prism is, prism was pushed back. I believe it's mid December now. Uh, it's already pre-selling for over a thousand a box. All right. Well, I bring a little bit more information than Joe. I can be specific. My vintage set of the week, uh, its release date was 55 years ago. Uh, 1965 Topps Baseball. Joe, even a collector who may not favor the 65 set, I mean, everyone understands the first thing that you notice, the gorgeous design. And I even give Topps credit. They created a 
beautiful light blue background too uh just the first thing i want to talk about is the aesthetics of this card it is loved by collectors for a reason yeah the, the little pennant is just is so eye-catching it's one of my absolute favorite vintage sets uh loaded with key hall of famers i mean you've got you know plus you've got you know third year card of pete rose you've got Manol, you've got you know, I mean, Maris, who's not a Hall of Famer, but one of my favorites, you know. You've got... yeah, the, the Maris card has that bright pink on the bottom. Um, yeah. The Willie Mays has the bright purple on it. Um, the color combinations are just so gorgeous on these. As you mentioned, loaded with Hall of Famers because by that time, I mean, it's Yaz, Aaron, you know, all of those uh, cards, Bob Gibson. But it's also rookie cards, Steve Carlton, uh, uh, Joe Morgan, who just passed, Jim Hunter. Uh, and so the overall attractiveness and the fact that you have a Kofax, you have a beautiful mantle card, uh, the biggest of the big are in the 65 tops baseball set. Uh, and it's one of those, it really is attainable. Um, the high number series, it's a 598 card series. Even the high numbers are only slightly more. You got to go to 66 and 67 before you start hating yourself for uh, chasing high numbers. But the high numbers are even attainable. It, it, it's such a gorgeous and popular set, Joe, but it's reasonably affordable and it certainly is available out there in the market. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're correct. The high numbers aren't nearly as tough as they were the next couple of years. And so, yeah, anybody who, you know, is a, a true vintage purist has got to put some 65s in their collection. Just, you know, pick out a few hall of famers or, or even just guys, you know, you remember from back in the day, it's a beautiful set. Yep. Or I'm collecting all giants or all braves or, or et cetera. All right. That's going to wrap up episode 27. Join us again. Set more days, the collector and the dealer. Hey, it's Buck here today with my good friend and vice president of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group, Stacy Ellis. Stacy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Buck. So how are things at Jim Ellis Automotive these days? Things are good. I mean, of course, we're still adjusting to the loss of my dad, who was running the business, and my grandparents, who founded the company, but we're finding our way. Stacy, I can't imagine that, that kind of loss in such a short period of time, let alone the impact on the business. Fortunately, we surrounded ourselves with a great team, so that really helps us a lot. Now, any truth to the rumors about Jim Ellis being sold? <laughs> we have no plans to sell the business. If anything, we're looking to grow. In addition to some new facilities, we're going to focus on what's worked in the past, making car buying quick, easy, and convenient. Well, speaking from experience, Stacy, I couldn't be happier with my recent purchase from Jim Ellis. That's great. Our motto is expect the best. Visit JimEllis.com. All the information you need is just a click away. Doesn't get any easier than that. Find your next vehicle at Jim Ellis Automotive. What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. 
You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.